Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. It's good to be with you guys. Come on, you can do a little better than that. Good morning. It's good to be with you guys. I am in the middle of a lot of travel this month, a lot of things that I committed to kind of converged in one month, and I've been assessing church planters and uh, got some time with family on my way to Atlanta, where I've been with Christian, some Christian leaders and pastors. They were in different stages of transition in their lives, and there's a rich time being with them, and, and then got a few more trips this month ahead. But so it's so, so good to be home and to be here in community, so life-giving, just to, just to kind of be in the room uh, together with you. When I was about 12 or 13, I was with a group of friends in Nashville, capital of my home state. We stayed in an old historic hotel, probably because it was cheap, downtown. wasn't in a very good part of town. That was back in the days for a lot of cities, downtowns had not been revitalized. We were staying on the 11th or 12th story of this old red brick, brick rectangular hotel. I tried to remember the name of it, and I can't. But one, one of the guys was sitting in the, kind of in the window frame looking outside and started yelling down the hall to the rest of us. There were 15 or so of us boys and we ran to him and in the parking lot behind the hotel we witnessed a mugging and we saw a a gang of seven or eight people who were who were beating up this old man that was push had been pushing the shopping cart with his belongings and and we you know as boys we were just in like shock you know, there are a couple, couple of the guys that were like making sport of it out of their anxiety with what they were watching. But we knew, they, you know, 12-year-old boys understand each other. We knew they were just nervous. And, and we watched it unfold, and we didn't know what to do. There is, there is this mixture of fear, you know, like if we, they see us, will they come up here after us, you know? The, the imagination of a 12-year-old um, there was is, there is like a, a kind of a sacred silence as, as we watched this man being robbed, not just of his possessions, but his dignity. Um, and then when it, when it was over, then we, we sat there and we were left with this, what do we do with this? Um, do we just keep this to ourselves? What's the risk of telling someone? We knew, we, we discussed it, and we knew that we had been witness to a crime. And that brought a moral obligation to us. So we told the adults that were with us, and they called the police. And last week, Dustin, and by the way, great job, Dustin, uh, last week. I, I got to watch part of it before I lost connection. I was driving in the mountains of North Carolina at the time that you guys were meeting. Um, I got to finish the rest of it later. 
he brought us again into the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, it's interesting in, in the Gospel of John, written by the Apostle John, he gives a lot of airtime to John the Baptist. I, I think it has struck me more this time through John. I counted about 36 verses in the first three chapters of John, 26 being in the first chapter, given to John the Baptist. And it begs the question, why so much time to this rather um, strange figure in the witness of the New Testament? And I think our text today will help answer the question, why so much time given to John? So let's read it. We're going to read a text that's really the next day from the text that we covered last week that Dustin spoke from. So let's read John 1, 29 to 34. Would you like to stand one more time? We, we will give honor to the Word of God and, um, and listen. The next day... He, that's John the baptizer, John the Baptist, he sees Jesus coming toward him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who is taking away the sin of the world. This is the one of whom I said, A man who came after me is he who was before me, because he is first over me. I myself did not know him. I came baptizing with water so he might be made known to Israel. And so John testified, saying, I've seen the Spirit descend on him like a dove from heaven and remain on him. Indeed, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, he said to me, the one of whom you see the Spirit descend and remain upon, that one is baptizing with the Holy Spirit. I have seen, and now I testify that he is the Son of God. You can be seated. There's so much here that deserves our attention in this text. There's so many different themes and topics interwoven. There's so many things that John's doing. I wish we could cover them all. We can't. We're going to camp out just on the last statement. And so, John writes, I have seen and testify that Jesus is the Son of God. I want us to huddle around today about what it means to bear witness to Jesus. I want us to think about the power of bearing witness to Jesus. John says the next day he sees, quote-unquote, Jesus. John's using what English majors call the historical present. He's taught the historical present is a device in language to talk about something that's already happened, past tense, but using the present tense. It's pretty common 
among storytellers. You know, a storyteller would get up, and, and then as I was sitting there, I see him crossing the street. So he uses the present tense. It's, his, it's the teller's way of inviting us in. He wants us to join in the story. And that's what John is doing. He's inviting us in. You know, in this prologue of John, so far, all we've had is things written about, said about the Messiah, the Word who became flesh. We've had things said about his cousin, John. Now John is inviting us in and he's saying, look, there he is. So this is a seminal part of the gospel where John's saying, now he's here. He's here. So we're supposed to have this feeling of, he's here. Welcome, Jesus. Can we say that together? You ready? Welcome, Jesus. He's now in the house. He's now in this gospel with us. This historical present is inviting us, it's making our first point for us today. Here it is. To bear witness to Jesus is to bring ourselves into the historical presence, it's presence, to bring ourselves in availability and trust into the situations of our lives, in the relationships of our lives, in the circumstances of our lives. It's to bring ourselves before God in His presence, in the comings and goings of our lives. And John the baptizer is showing us here how he's doing it. He's sharing his story. Listen to his words. He who sent me. Now there's a story behind that little phrase. John wasn't. You know, sometimes I think we have an idea of John as this like obscure person that like just hatched somewhere in the wilderness. You know, John came from a priestly line. His father and his mother are each from priestly lines. John grew up in the tradition of his faith. He wasn't an obscure person that no one... He had a lineage filled with the stories of God. He was raised in the Scriptures. So when John says, the one who sent me, you better believe there's story behind that. There's connection, there's narrative with God. He says, the one who sent me said to me, ah, not just sent, but heard. Heard the voice of God in his ear. And not just like some vague way, but he gives us specifically what God said to him. The one on whom you see the Spirit rest and remain. It's easy to miss the significance of that. God's people knew of the Spirit, but the Spirit made house calls. It came, it did, it worked, it went back. 
John's telling us something about the Messiah, the one on whom the Spirit rests and remains. He is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. He's the real deal. John is bearing witness to the activity of God. He's not just giving information about the Messiah. He's saying, it's wrapped up in my story. He sent me, he said to me, he said this to me. There he is. This is where our authority comes from in bearing witness to Jesus. We're telling our story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, that activity in our lives. We're telling our interaction with it. Shortly before Jesus goes into heaven, you know, the disciples are all juiced up. They've they've made it through the betrayal, the arrest, the crucifixion. They've witnessed the resurrection. They've been with Jesus 40 days. They They can feel the momentum building. And so their question is, is it time, Lord? Is it time where we crush our enemies? We take captive those who have opposed the work of God. Is it time for us to stand up together and take forceful advance on this land? And Jesus says, you know what he says? The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And when he does, you bear witness. Beginning right where you're at. You be available to God in trust, in obedience. And you bear witness. So our first question, are you living in that of kind of availability in the common spaces of your lives? Last weekend, uh, I was with my mom in East Tennessee and I think it was Saturday morning, uh, my sister texted overnight and said my cousin had passed away. My cousin Larry um, sort of grew up with him. Our, our side of the family, my dad's side, is not particularly close, to be honest with you. The only thing that, the only reason we ever saw each other because we had a family business, and we all worked at it together. So I knew my cousin Larry from that. But the family's not particularly close. In fact, it's really distant. But Mom and I decided to go visit his wife, now widow, and they have uh, three daughters. And we knocked on the door, and his wife, Regina, came to the door. And I didn't think at first we were going to be invited in. There was just an awkwardness. Uh, Not resistance, just awkwardness. And uh, so finally she said, would you guys, you know, we're holding flowers in her hand, and she said, would you guys like to come in? And so... We came in, and the room was filled with uh, their family and, you know, kids who had married their daughters and their kids, and no one made eye contact with us. No one spoke to us. It was extremely awkward. We were just in the room, and um, I didn't know what to do, and in that moment, I just prayed, um, God, would you help us be a blessing? to our family right now. 
I don't, I'm not sure how to do that. I feel like we're not welcome. Um, but God gave grace to see beyond the exterior. So I walked up to one of his daughters and said, hey, I'm your cousin. And uh, so we, we conversed. I hadn't seen her probably in 30 years. So we, we talked, and then we, we were going to leave, and the, and the Spirit prompted me, you need to pray with these people, for these people. And so that, I, I knew what I had to do then. And so I went and put my arm around Regina, and she just buried her head in my shoulder just for someone to just touch her. And, you know, I, I, I looked at her, and I saw that, disorientation, uh, the shock, and the pain in her eyes that had probably been going on some time. And I said, I'd just like to pray for you. Could I do that? So my mom and I just stood with her in the room with the family, and we just prayed. And that was it. But we asked God to be with them. And to minister to them and to be specially present to them. I think, bearing witness, we don't control the outcomes. We just learn to be available to God and trust Him to do what He wants. So John introduces the second point with a really powerful three-letter word. In the original language, it only has three letters. You pronounce it ide, I-D-E in English. It means, behold, look. There's an old statement as old-timers like, or old-timers used when I was a kid. They'd say, look-see. Anybody have a grandparent that would say that? or Look-see. You know, it, it was like filled with meaning, this clunky, hyphenated word. John is like, look, he's here. And then he begins to talk about what he's seen and heard, and that's our second principle. To bear witness to Jesus is to tell what you've seen and heard. You know, for both Johns, the baptizer and the apostle, bearing witness to Jesus was deeply personal to them. I think it's the gospel writer Mark that best tells the story of the apostle John in his boat, in his father's boat with his brother James, getting their fishing equipment ready, mending their nets. And Mark makes a point to say, Jesus is walking by and he sees them. He sees them. You know, as I was with Regina that last Saturday, one of the things that came to mind as we, as we drove away is, I don't think she has felt seen in a while. I think if nothing else just happened there, she felt seen. Someone looked at her, a husband who had been in ICU for three weeks. All the eyes were there. Can you imagine what's going on in her? She felt seen. John's got his story had to be deeply personal. I was just doing my job on the, on the shore, and Jesus saw me. 
He saw me. And only John could like receive that. A bear, a witness is someone who's been seen by Christ. Who's been seen in ways that others can't or won't. And then a witness says, I have a responsibility, I have a moral obligation with that. I've been seen. Now, God, would you help me see others? Their witness was deeply personal, both the baptizer and John, the apostle. How has God been deeply personal to you? That's our second question. That's your story. How has God met you in the darkness? How has God met you in the common? How has God met you in the sadness of your life? How has God met you in the chaos, in the disorientation, in the disillusionment, in the anger, in the whatever of your life? That's your story that you have obligation with because God saw you in it. And you're surrounded by people who are feeling similar things than what you've experienced. And they long to be seen in it. That's what it means to bear witness to Jesus. To have his eyes to see what he sees. God wants us to to tell what we've seen and heard. I remember the first time I have an awareness of hearing from God. I was 13 or 14, and I was sitting by a lake, and I turned my Bible, because that's where my youth minister had spoken from that morning, to Philippians 4. And I was a typical 13-year-old filled with anxiety and wanting to be seen, liked, loved, accepted, all that stuff. And, And I remember reading the peace of God which passes all understanding, and that landed with me. I heard God's voice. I didn't have the sophistication of language for that, but it was like the peace of God is available right here and now for you. I remember hearing God's voice several years later call me in as a pastor. It was really more of a vision. I was in trouble and grounded and God gave me a vision of doing this, what I'm doing right now. I didn't ask for it. I remember God speaking to me as an 18-year-old on campus and seeing this blue-eyed, blonde-haired gazelle and and spending some time with her and, and, and walking her to the door and the voice of God whispering, This is a special woman. She is your future. I asked for that one, but I didn't expect it. In our text, there's a special emphasis not on hearing, but on seeing. John says, behold, I see it. I've seen the Spirit rest and remain. I see and testify that Jesus is the Son of God. What have you seen God do in your life? That's your story. 
I remember the first time I remember really seeing God do something. I was in a dark road. I couldn't find my way. I said, God, I need some light. And a street light came on that very second. Coincidence? A small thing. But it, but it emboldened me in a strange way. It said to me, I'm with you. I remember seeing God's provision in my seminary years. I was poorer than Job's turkey. And over and over, funds would come in from unsuspecting places. Hey, I hear you're in seminary. Wanted to, wanted to be part of that. I remember seeing God's power over an evil spirit in the, on the streets of New Orleans, sharing Christ and being approached by a witch and seeing God for the first time really deliver from an evil spirit, Cindy and I have seen God's activity over and over and over in our lives. So John later writes another letter, and he starts this letter by saying, that which we've seen, which we've looked at, which our hands have touched, which we've heard with our ears, this we proclaim. Let me tell you something. You have a story that needs to be told. I don't care if it's spectacular. Sometimes the more power is in the ordinary. How God meets us. John is not just sharing facts about Jesus. He's sharing his story. We've seen it. Hey, we saw it. We looked at it. We touched him. And that's our final point. To bear witness to Jesus is to testify who He is. See, our witness isn't about our story. We have a story. But it's about our story intermingled into the life. A life caught up with God. A life that's been redeemed in God. It, it is our story. But, it, but ultimately, it's not about us. The baptizer here brings two titles of Jesus here. Did you catch them? Lamb of God, Son of God. He's addressing the issue of who is Jesus. There you go. We bear witness, that's the vital question. Who is Jesus to you? Who has Jesus been for you? Who is Jesus being in you? That's your story. That's what you bear witness to. You may say, I don't have a spectacular story. L listening to, watching the kids this morning reminded me, the last, last two weeks I've been meditating on Psalm 8. I've just stayed with it. And the first two verses are something like this. I can't quote it word for word, but uh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So, so the psalmist starts really big, you know, your glory, Lord, it, it's over the heavens. But I want you to listen to what he does next. He says, from the mouths of infants and children. 
You have established, get, get this, you have established a stronghold against the enemy. Holy smokes. Like, did you hear that? From the, from the words of infants and children, God is establishing powerful stronghold against the enemy. His glory is above the heaven. You know how he's building his defense system? Through the praise of infants and children. He's using the small, the weak. I think there's a powerful word there for our bearing witness. See, God wants us to enter the room and be okay with not knowing what to do. And coming to Him and just say, Lord, here am I. I don't know. But God, I do trust that You've done a work in my life. And I don't know how You might want to use that. But Lord, here I am. I trust You. Would You guide and would You lead? See, when we bear witness to Christ, we're serving as a guide to others. To help them discover Jesus. John is fixed on this question, who is Jesus? He's fixed on it. He's using the historical present here to land the question in our community. Who is Jesus? We're going to hear him do this over and over. We saw it last two weeks ago in our church at home with turning the water into wine. The question is, who is this that can do this? We're going to hear it over and over in Jesus' I am statements. He's going to talk about who he is. We're going to hear Jesus link his mission with his identity when he says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the max. So here John says, look, see, Lamb of God. Look, Son of God. John knew what he was saying when he said Lamb of God. He came from a priestly line. He was familiar. His hearers were familiar with it too. When he says Lamb of God, they knew where he was going. They knew what it meant to be the sacrificial lamb. They knew it from their law. They knew it from their history. They knew it from their prophets. Isaiah wrote, he was oppressed and afflicted. Did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And a sheep before, as a sheep before its shears is silent. He did not open his mouth. There's these three powerful strands of meaning in Lamb of God. One is the patient suffering of the Lamb. There's the sinless innocence of the Lamb. And there's the sacrificial death. All that's wrapped, I know it's a lot to take in in a, in a moment. But all that's wrapped up in this. There's the Lamb of God. Behold, John says... The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's, that's a radical statement. They not just knew who, what a Lamb of God was for. They hear John saying, and there he is. Right there. This was radical in another way. It's contrary to his Jewish hearers, ears. Takes away the sins of the world. They viewed the Gentiles as beyond deserving God, his mercy and forgiveness. And John is saying, no, behold, he takes away the sins of the world. 
They saw themselves as superior in every way imaginable to the Gentiles. But John is saying God does not. And he will not. He doesn't distinguish people and place them in categories of value. They all matter to him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Including the Jews. They needed him as much as anyone. John is identifying this man. That's what it means to bear witness. Is to point to Jesus. Is to take your story story and point it to Jesus. Behold. The witness of Jesus testifies to this Jesus who takes our sin and makes us new, makes us whole, makes us pure, makes us holy, who brings peace and joy and hope, gives us the capacity to love when it's not in us. So I want to close by simply asking again, who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? God's word exhorts us today to take up his moral obligation on our lives to bear witness to him. You don't have to be highly trained. You just have to have a story. Experiential knowledge of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you're alive to God, you have a story to tell. Be who you are in Jesus. Be who Jesus is in you. And tell that. I want to close. Man, you guys can come on up. I want to close with a reading by John. I, I can't not read this. It's just, it's burning in my belly uh, to, to read this to you. John wrote several books of the New Testament, including the last one, Revelation. I want to read Revelation 5 to you. As I read it, I want you to hear the multiplicity of people bearing witness to Jesus. It leads us into worship in a way few texts do. John writes, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, this is God the Father, with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or even under the earth could open the scroll and even look inside. And I wept. And I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look. Then one of the elders, there's our next witness, said to me, do not weep. See. See, look, see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, 
standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they bore witness by falling down Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain with your blood. You purchased for God persons from every tribe and every language, every people, every nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They circled the throne. They bore witness. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and praise. Then I heard every creature. Can you imagine this? Every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor, glory and power forever and ever. What an extravagant picture of bearing witness. It's there in part to inspire us to say, He's worthy. I've witnessed Him. He's alive. I'm alive to Him. I will live in the places and spaces of my life and I will tell what I have seen and what I have heard. Especially when I don't know what to do in this space, in this time, in this culture. And I will say, God, I am here. Send me. Use me. And then John ends by saying, the four living creatures, they get the last word. And they say, Amen. And those elders who had gotten up, they got to fall down again. And they worship. Father, you are worthy we, we find reasons not to bring you into the marketplaces of our lives, the common spaces, our neighborhood and our family. We, we find reasons to be quiet. They all make sense to us. God, may there be a new song saying in us. God, you are worthy. You are worthy of me feeling insignificant and, and not able and coming to you and saying, so be it, I am unable and insignificant, but in you, I am a new creation. And Lord, here I am. Use me. God, if you can bring a stronghold against the enemy through the praise of infants and children, surely you can take folks like us and make a new creation that would ripple through our neighborhoods in this city and in the places you send us. That's the cry of our hearts. God, that's why we're here. It's what we long for. Do a new work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.